afternoon, everybody. I love hearing the, uh, the chatter. Chatter is a good thing. If you could hear a pin drop in the room, that would be very bad. Very bad news, I hope, from you watching at home or wherever you're tuning in. I know some of you even tune in while you're working on the farm. Um, I hope you're doing well and are able to take away and be encouraged this afternoon as we look to the Word. I have to be honest with you, as we am continuing to really embarking on this section of Scripture, it may be a little tough. It may be a little bit of feeling like you're going through a bit of mud for a bit, okay? But the goal at the end of it all is to be encouraged, to be encouraged. The Word of God speaks to our heart. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It speaks to the joints, the heart, the very core of us, man. And sometimes as we read, it may feel as if the, the sword is penetrating the heart. But the good news is we're not meant to feel shame. We're not meant to feel dread, but to be, as we're held in accountability to his word, we can be encouraged that there's still grace, hope, and love through Jesus Christ. That is our hope for today. So with that disclaimer being put up there, let's quickly turn to Matthew chapter 7. Um, you know, I was frantically this morning trying to trim down this afternoon's message. I have this software that tells me, you know, what the timestamp for this is. And I'm thinking, oh boy. So I'm going to, you know, do my very best here. But starting in Matthew, Matthew 7, this is where we began this, a dawn of a new day. Join the movement. And we start in chapter 7. It's like a good film or a good story. You, you get hit with a climatic scene, and then there's a flashback, you know, two months earlier or two days prior. In this case, we're looking where in Matthew chapter 7, it's wrapping up a discourse of teaching of Jesus himself. And he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he says this, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. And this is what I appreciated about Pastor Brian even a few weeks ago, touching on this point Sometimes we try and get as close to the line as possible because of grace. Look what he says in verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn thistles or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And just to stop for a moment, remember we touched on the fact the purpose and will of God is that we would look to his Son and become more like Jesus. He's conformist, he's predestined us, sorry, to be conformed to the image of his son. 
So he says in verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And so it's important to know it's not about what we do, but rather being known by Jesus. Is our name known in the book of life? We touched on it last week. If you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you are in him and therefore you are in the book of life. And because you're in that book, because his Holy Spirit has proclaimed favor, the seal of God upon you, you're being drawn to not be a lawbreaker, but a truth keeper. Not a lawbreaker, but a truth keeper. So he goes on, and I like how the Bible here has a little title here. I'm not really big into titles, but it's a good one. The two foundations, and he says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And I really believe the emphasis here, if we build our life on anything other than who Jesus Christ is, what he's drawn us to, not to be lawbreakers, but truth keepers, our house will collapse. Our house will come under destruction. But we don't have to dread, we don't have to feel this, this shame because we are in Christ. Our house is going to stand because we are in him. And so we touched on in Matthew chapter 4 that in him... It says in Matthew 4, verse 16 to 17, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now you might be sitting here today and thinking, okay, so we got to follow the law. No, that's not what he's referencing. That's not what I'm proclaiming to you. In fact, we're told in Galatians 3.24, the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what do we do with that? The beautiful thing is that Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17, that he's come to fulfill the law. And this true spirit of the law is that we would honor God with our life. We rebel, and he calls us to return to him. In many respects, it's like the writer Lamentations wrote that is so true even for today. Every day that you wake up, just imagine as these words are read to you, this is true for you. Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Many songs have been written about this very passage of scripture. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So every day that you wake up, as the light shines through your window, as you take in, as you breathe life again, you're experiencing this mercy. You're experiencing this grace. And you know what you're also experiencing? Faithfulness. 
his faithfulness to continue the work that he began in you. So imagine it's almost like a house that's not yet complete. How many here have built a house? You know the process. Meg and I have, um, you know, built a few houses now. The place where we live is more of an actual house. What we had before was a condo and then a townhome. Now we live in a house. And yet even though it's new-ish, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's some renovating happening. Many respects, this is what it's like when we come to faith in Christ. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. And as we encounter this mercy, this grace of the Lord, we're moved in action. Remember that. We're moved in action, fit for the kingdom because of his love. And so last week we looked at Romans 5, 5 that says, his very love has been poured into your heart. When you encounter difficulty, when you misstep, when you miss the mark, do you encounter that love? Can you sense that love of God? I can guarantee you that sense of shame and dread does not come from him. That's coming from the enemy who wants to get under your skin, who wants to sow those seeds of dissension and make you give up. He's lurking like the snake in the, in the weeds or in the tree, if you will, like in the Garden of Eden, waiting to strike. And yet his venomous blow cannot kill you because you are in Christ. And so what I want to emphasize here today is Christ is beginning a heart surgery. He's the great physician. His love is not rendered ineffective, but it is effective, making what seems impossible possible. And so just for a few moments, I want us to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and... You know, some of these passages that we go through, like I said earlier, may be a little tough, but I'm encouraged this afternoon. I got to admit, I was doing a little bit of a hard check this, come, this past week, and um, as a minister of the gospel, you want all people to be encouraged. You want people to be encouraged to walk away feeling like, right on, I'm in the faith, and I'm doing good, and... and there's this part in Acts where Paul says, listen, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so that really spoke to me to, to say to my own heart, to be faithful to the word of God as written, to proclaim it as written. He goes on to say in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, everyone from your own number, and will distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Wait a second, he says, I, I never stopped warning you with tears? This is the same apostle who proclaimed the peace, grace, hope, and love of Christ. Yeah. But he's also warning them, do not think that you make anything upon yourself to stand. It's Christ who makes you stand. And so he says in verse 32, and now I commit to you, to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are being sanctified. 
So that's a side little nugget that if we're truly in Christ, if we're, if we're tapped into his grace, of which we are, there's a sanctifying process. There's a sanctifying process. And so as we look to these scriptures this afternoon, we don't have to have a downcast or despondent view, but we can lift up our eyes into whom our help comes from. So John chapter 5, verse 8, we're told this. It's a beautiful part of scripture. It's both the vine and the branches, how we've been grafted into Christ through faith. And in verse 8, he says this, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Two things, produce fruit, therefore proving to be my disciples. We will be fruit bearers if we are his disciples. Fruit are disciples. Disciples are big fruity people. Okay? The good kind of fruit. And he goes on to say in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. So you can rest assured, God loves you because you love his son. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. But he doesn't stop there. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce fruit, and fruit should have or fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Remember, the will of the Father is for you to be conformed to the image of his Son. So it makes sense when he says, I appoint you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Verse 17, this is what I command you, love one another. And he goes on and says, the world hates you. Understand, it hated me before it hated you. And you could be thinking, wait a second, the world's going to hate me? I thought everything's going to be love, wealth, and happiness. I just thought everything's going to be hunky-dory and rosy. I thought the church is going to be this, this incredible body of believers that are hitting the mark, bam, 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 falling out, running on all cylinders. We know that we misstep. He says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And so many times and places, the church wants so desperately in some places, not all, hear what I'm saying, not all, but it's a gut check as a shepherd of this house, not to be tempted to be loved by the world. In order just to put butts in the seats, as I used to say, to fill the assembly, to fill the house, let's become like the world. Jesus says, no, I've called you to come out from the world. He says, however, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You might be thinking, what, what does he mean by that? If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. They are hanging on to everything that you proclaim and what you believe with your very life. They're going to hold you to it. 
He says in verse 21, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. At the end of the day, you can cast pearls as the, as the gospel says, as Jesus says, before those who do not understand what you hold of great worth and of great value. And Jesus says this in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but this happened so the statement written in the law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Because we're in Christ, there are are things that we're going to go through It's not always going to be easy, but I want to direct our attention back to verse 11. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Not the joy that comes from the world, but the joy from following Christ. Sometimes it's with one of the worship songs, I think it's blessed be your name. There's pain in the offering, but blessed be your name because there's fullness of joy in serving him. This is the promise that Jesus declares to us. And not only that, in John chapter 13, a few moments back, in verse 34, he says, I give you a new command, love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And to really show love to one another, it'd be really Bad love for me to say to a fellow believer, you're never going to face affliction. You're never going to face persecution because you're blessed and highly favored. Jesus himself said, when you are persecuted, when you face trouble, actually in the Greek it says, when you face tribulation, do not lose heart, for I've overcome the world. There's peace, hope, but most importantly, joy in the midst of our service, in the midst of our offering. It's not about our distinction. It's not about even measuring how much fruit we produce. Although it's important on a tree that you produce fruit. But it's not about the fruit that I produce. It's not about the fruit that you produce. Rather, it's about glorifying the one who brings the fruit, who cultivates the fruit in our life, who gives us new life. And so I want to invite you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're doing pretty well. We're, we're trucking along pretty good here. Uh, we're getting into the main meat. And you might be thinking, whoa, that was, that was pretty meaty. I hope you feel that way because it's definitely meat. It's good protein for the soul. Um, we're going to Matthew chapter 5. And this is where Jesus shows us, I believe, very practically, practical examples of what love looks like. What love looks like. Many times you've heard, my wife has told me so many times, honey, I'm not putting you on the spot. I know you just walked in the room, but she says, I know we need to love like Jesus. What does that look like? I haven't heard too many preachers preach and teach. What are the practical examples of that love? Now, I think we could all agree it's not just about affirming and just acknowledging what everyone decides is truth for themselves. Jesus would definitely agree with you. But here we're going to look and see how he gives us very practical examples of how we offer with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength to love like God and love one another. Not according to our own design, not according to our own self-interest, but according to his glory. 
And before I get into this, I want to make a statement that really hit me hard this week as I learned a new term called Jesus um, by some uh, theologians out there. They reiterate that the word is not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. Everything he's, he's doing is to glorify his name. It's about his name. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. If we're trying to build our own kingdoms, we're trying to build our own house, he tells us what's going to happen. The winds are going to come, the waves are going to come crashing in, bam! Hope, hope that woke, woke some of you up. <laughs> okay, we're ready. Because I did that fire for effect, because we're leading into Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Murder begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. He says this, you've heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you're reminded that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. It's a lot of very practical, I, I don't even have to extrapolate beyond that. It is crystal clear. What God affirms, remember Jesus is the fullness of God, and how we are to walk and act in love, he's laying it out for us. He's beginning a heart surgery. Because up to this point, it's been said, and he goes and said, you've heard it this way, but I tell unto you. Now, in reading this at first glance, and I was very pleased to see that, you know, there were other pastors and theologians who thought similarly, with all, not to toot my own horn, but to say, as we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit says that he will teach us and reveal truth to our heart. And as I was reading this, I really believe it's not about Jesus calling us to a more rigorous legal observance of God's law, but it's to realize the true spirit and heart of the law, like we talked about earlier. It's to pull our heart towards God's will to restore us into the image of God, into his likeness and not our desired likeness. It's not like a buffet where you can pick and choose what you want. It's all in. God is not just love. Love is the big piece, big attribute of God, but he's holy and righteous, good and faithful, loving, kind. To glorify God with our lives is what Jesus is getting at, that our heart would fully be his. It's just like when you're in rom uh, a romantic uh, engagement with a person you love, you're giving your heart wholeheartedly, or wholeheartedly to that person, I would hope, especially if you're getting married, holding nothing back. All that I am, I am yours. But in some respects, who, with Christ, do we give him all that we are? Or do we hold back some? Do we hold back some to kind of say, one foot in one world, one foot in the other? 
And so Jesus, I believe, he's marking the way forward. And it dawned on me, I kind of like the play on words, it dawned on me that it's like orientation day. Jesus comes, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Blessed are those who are humble in heart for they'll see heaven. And he goes on and shares all these incredible points as if it's orientation day. I'm reorientating your mind. I'm reorientating your heart so you can receive all that God the Father has for you. Don't miss it. You know, many of us, we've started different jobs and new places of work. I voice desire to work at one location in one place. So as a consequence of it, there's been many orientation days. So I've kind of learned these different processes. And every time you go into orientation day, you're learning the ins and outs of that place of work. You're learning the lay of the land. How to thrive. How to thrive in the organization. How to toe the line. But it, the most important part is to capture the heartbeat of the company. Capture the heartbeat. What's God's heartbeat here? What did Jesus say? You would produce fruit as my disciples. The mark, the fruit is that you would love one another as I have loved you. At Sobeys, where I thankfully had my first job, I was there for seven years, if you could believe it. Seven years at one location was incredible. And I'm working in produce, and I remember as I'm going through orientation day, the slogan was like, this is awesome. I can get behind this. I can understand this. The slogan was, ready to serve. Very easy. I'm ready to serve. So when you're, you know, pulling out boxes like you do, you have a cart, you go and you, you know, stock shelves as being the produce. It's the good stuff, the stuff that's good for you, right? But as you're stocking the shelves, when people come and ask you a question, you have to be ready to answer the question. Don't just say, get lost. I'm on the clock. I got to stack this, man. Like, leave me alone. No, it's like, how can I help you? How can I help you? This is very much what Jesus is calling us to, to be ready to go into the world and make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you. Sometimes it's not easy when you're answering those tough questions. But we need to be truthful. But we season the truth with love. When Jesus spoke and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, I think it was a very loving statement that he made. He didn't say, repent, you dirty, rotten scoundrels. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In many respects, like in our orientation days, we're in the company of Jesus. We're members of his family, and he's printing this kingdom slogan into our hearts. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And as we read these words, this side of the cross, especially this side, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who guides, convicts, and empowers us, he's renewing our mind. Make no mistake, he's renewing your mind. He's renewing my mind. If you're sitting here today and think, no, I'm good, I've arrived, then you're mistaken. And I would rightfully say, not putting shame to cause a greater degree of distress to your consciousness, but for you to understand that that's the word of the enemy. You have not yet arrived because, yes, you're a child of God, but we're not fully known until he arrives. This is a tough one to swallow. It's like when the doctor tells you, look, you need to take it easy on your cholesterol. You need to do what I'm telling you. Sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow, but you, got, you must do it. And so here we're told that Jesus is doing this heart surgery is backed up by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2.9. He says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you've been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Remember that part, over every ruler and authority. 
His rule and authority is above mine. His rule and authority is above family members and friends. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and circumcision of Christ. And here's the emphasis in verse 12. When you were buried with him in baptism, baptism means to be immersed, not, not sprinkled or partially dunked, immersed. I mean, you are immersed in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You've been baptized. You believe in him. You are immersed in Christ. And so he's speaking to the crowd. He's performing this surgery for all that will listen, preparing them to receive all that God has for them. And what we have to appreciate about verse 21 and through, he's getting to the heart of the issue. Remember, the law was about restraining, limiting, regulating sinfulness. But it wasn't solely about just getting you to stop killing people. It's about not allowing emotions to stir to the point where hatred turns to anger, anger turns to suffering and death. He's trying to show us of this root of the issue, where this misstep, this wrong action begins, and it begins in the heart. Look what he says in verse 22. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. I was looking this up and I thought, oh boy, there's like degrees in hell? No. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So what could that possibly be? Think about it. The last time you said, if I said to you, Maddie, I'm going to put you on the spot. If I said, you're a fool, you'd be like, excuse me? I am now going to face your wrath, <laughs> your hellfire. It's better, what I believe Jesus is showing us is be or take preventative action. De-escalate. Don't escalate. This is what I deeply respect about our policing community and those in armed services. Their role is not to take, you know, um, pre, our first strike um, type of capacity, but rather to de-escalate to disarm, to, to ensure peace, to safeguard peace. That's why Jesus says later on, he says, if a soldier tells you to go, you know, um, so many miles, go the extra, give him two. In verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And so Jesus is showing us here, there's the importance of taking necessary steps. Sometimes it might be more drastic than the person sitting next to you. It's going to look different for each of us. But it's the same Holy Spirit that's working in each of us to become more like Jesus. One of the things I deeply appreciate about my own father, my earthly father, is he was a peaceful man. He, don't get me wrong, he had passion. He had passion in his heart for the Lord and passion for life. But he was a peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. But make no mistake, where that peace, where that joy came from was in following the Lord in all things. If you were to sit down with him, he would be truthful with you. If you asked him, well, what, what, what would the Lord say? What does his word say about this situation or this or that? He'd be forthright with you. 
Just as Jesus is forthright with us in verse 21, you have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, but whoever murders will be subject to judgment. He goes on in verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him as well. So what is Jesus doing? Does he want us to walk around hurt and bruised and abused? No. But what he's saying, if you want to follow after me, you're going to take your licks. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face affliction. But don't lose heart. I'm with you. The Bible talks about that when you're engaged in those sufferings, consider it pure joy because you're one of his number. You're one of his fold. You're a member of his flock. And Jesus here, and I got to love, remember he says, I'm fulfilling the law. Don't think I've come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill Exodus 20, verse 13, I think we have that verse. It says, do not murder. God says, do not murder. Genesis 9, 5, 6 says, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by human's hands, oh, sorry, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. Look at that last part he says. For God made humans in his image. The will of God, his purpose that he's conformed, predestined from the, before time itself was for you and I to be found in Christ and to be in his image and likeness. God takes this very seriously. He takes you so seriously. The very numbers on your head are known to him. All that you do matters to him. And so where the law was like a a topical remedy, a stopgap measure, if you will, Jesus is the fulfillment saying, this way, this way forward. And so he's showing us murder's not the answer, but look what he says here in verse 24. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. How many of you would say reconciliation can be tough? Yeah. I would say even more so when you know that you're in the right, but you go to talk it out anyway. That's also very tough. And I'm not one who's just preaching, telling you to do something I've never done myself. I've been in those shoes, and it is excruciating. It's difficult but it's rewarding because you know that joy is something no one can take from you. No one can take that from you. When you take your last breath, the joy set before you by faith in Christ, you know that you're in him. That's the joy. That's what we're talking about. And so he's showing us that this unchecked attitude, just to bring us full circle here, an unchecked attitude of hatred or anger or resentment can boil up and lead to murder. Just as lust, he goes on, lust can lead to adultery. So whatever the case may be, take evasive action. It's like all those good stories, those good movies. You always hear it in those action films. Take evasive action, right? Suppressive fire, like those kind of things. <laughs> and it can seem very heavy. You can think like, man, this is heavy. Like Doc said to Marty, oh, this is heavy. I got, the other, I got the other way around, but anyway, Marty the doc, but whatever. <laughs> this is heavy. I saw you, I saw you, Ian. 
First John chapter five says this. If you don't remember anything but this, this, is, this would be awesome. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. First John five verse four. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. By faith in Jesus, we can do this. By faith in the risen Christ, we can overcome the obstacles of the enemy. Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what I'm reminded of as I read this passage, that no matter what we face, we don't have to be despondent, but we can lift up our eyes to he who gives us hope, who gives us life. In James 1, uh, verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when he's drawn away, enticed by his own evil desire. And after this desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to to death. But Paul goes on to say in 10:13, he says, There's no temptation that's come upon you or I except what is common to all of humanity. But God is faithful, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Think about that. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but He says, But with temptation, He will provide a way out so that you will be able to bear it. Other translation it says, To endure it or stand up under it. In life, there's consequences. If you do the crime, you're going to do the time. Because the, the authorities put in place by God are there to be magistrates, to uh, affirm and to uphold society, to be civil to one another. Essentially, it comes from the word of God, to love one another as I have loved you. So here Jesus is saying, don't take personal action against your brother or sister. The courts are going to do that. Don't take personal action. The governing authorities will do that because Jesus tells us, as speaking, where we know, should back up, Paul was taught by Christ, who tells us in Romans 13, that the governing authorities have been put in place to exercise those rights, to govern, to even, the Bible says, to bring the sword. And so very quickly, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 4. It's an illustration passage, if you will. I hope you have a little bit more stamina within you. The worship team will come soon, but not yet. Genesis chapter 4, it's a popular part of the word. Jim, it might be one of your favorite stories, I'm not sure. But Genesis chapter 4 talks about Cain and Abel. How many know the story? It's like one of those, you're like, yep, heard this one. Man, there is so much richness in this, and I'm going to quickly just go over it um, and then pick it up again next week. But it says in Genesis 4 that Cain and Abel were the children of Adam and Eve. And the time came that after they gave offerings that God was, was very pleased with one son's offering over the other. Abel's offering over the other. And we're told in the story that Cain was furious he was furious that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering, and so he looked despondent. I looked up the word despondent. That's why I've said it a few times, the fire for effect. It means to be brought low in loss of courage. I thought that's a perfect word for the story, to be brought low in loss of courage, because Cain allowed himself to be brought low and have loss of courage. He allowed his emotions to get the best of him. 
for hatred or anger to take root for then to escalate into murder. And so Cain takes matters into his own hands and he takes his brother's life. And, and God says to Cain, he goes, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, <laughs> they replied. Am I my brother's guardian? You can tell there's an aspect of being ticked off here because Cain was told to work the ground. He wasn't told that he had to care for his brother. So there's a little bit of a back talk happening here. You can see that there's something going on in the heart. And in verse 10 it says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The story goes on and God has great mercy for Cain and yet he has to go through some consequences for his actions. But it shows, the reason why I'm sharing this part of the story is that Jesus is affirming what has been true from the dawn of time itself. From the very beginning of creation, God was never behind murder. But he wanted people to be reconciled to him in his image and likeness. And so he go, comes to Cain in this story and he tells him, Cain, in verse 7, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's very similar to the words that Jesus is saying, to be reconciled to one. If you go to the temple and you know there's something wrong, go and reconcile. But you shouldn't have to get to the temple to realize, ah, I've wronged my brother or my sister, I need to go apologize. And so here we see that we don't always get the answers to our questions. How many of you like answers to questions? Sometimes we ask, I've said, God, why? We don't always get the answer. Cain was wondering, what's going on? The passage doesn't show us, and we can make assumptions why God held Abel's offering in higher regard than Cain's. But make no mistake, he does not give a clear-cut answer of what's going on here. But what we can see is God is most assuredly concerned with Cain's next steps. And if he's concerned with Cain's next steps, surely he's concerned with our next steps. That's what Jesus is doing. Your next steps matter. You, by believing in me, you're one of the kingdom. Walk in me. Your next steps matter. It's like taking this narrow path, this high road as we like to call it. It's about going the distance regardless of opposition, regardless of the request, even regardless of the hostility. This is what Jesus gets at in verses 38 through 42. We're gonna face hostility, we're gonna face aggression, but it's what we do, it's how we respond that matters. And if Cain was able to realize the joy that was set before him, that he was created in the image of God, that yeah, they had fallen, Mama Eve had made a mistake and was deceived in the garden, could have said, I'm not gonna be deceived like my mother, but I'm gonna trust in God that he has favor over me, and I'm not gonna be jealous of my brother, but I'm gonna you know, praise my brother for the offer that he has given. And that he succumbed just like his mother. But yet here today, this side of the cross, 
I'm emphasizing this side of the cross. You have passed from death to life. You will not face judgment, but we will be accountable for everything the board says, every idle word that we speak. But that sin has been judged in Christ, in his body, on the tree, as the word says. And so that's why I really believe fire for effect, John 15, 11, it says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we respond and wrap things up. There is so many things that we could go in and looking at this story of Cain and Nebel, but I really believe it helps illustrate who God is, the way that he has worked and been working behind the scenes from the beginning of time itself. He's about reconciling. He's about us being conformed to the image of his son. Will we be like Cain and be self-serving? Will we be like Cain and because of self-interest or because of the add to within our heart that we act out, we lash out? Or will we be like Christ who took all of that upon himself on the cross? He took hatred, he took shame, he took condemnation, he took it all in his own hands. Genesis 3.13, when, when the ancient serpent came and deceived Eve, the Lord asked Eve and said, what have you done? And the woman, it's not about emphasizing one sex over the other. It's, it applies for each of us here today. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We don't have to be deceived. I deeply appreciate the verse in 1 John 3 that says that Jesus came. It says the Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works, the works of deception, the works to seed in you, to act out, to lash out, to go the way to murder, to go even the way of lust and not the way of reconciliation. He's came to destroy that hold on you, that hold on myself. And so he's prompting us. He's, he's doing this heart surgery. He's renewing our mind that when we pray in all situations, like we're told in Romans 8, that we are no longer under the tyranny of sin, but we're under God's intended design to walk in liberty, to walk in freedom over sin. Our choices matter. And if our heart is for the Lord, if our heart is for his glory, if it's for his will to be made into his image and likeness, that we will benefit from his love and we will be fit for the kingdom of heaven. We will walk as he walked, as a work in progress. Follow him. I believe his word would say to us today, follow me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as the worship team begins to play, remember these words in Romans chapter one, of Romans 12 verse one, it says, brothers, sisters, and view of the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
This is your proper worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one of us. His will is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. He's making you into his fullness, his image and likeness. We are children now, and we will, when he returns, be known as he is fully known. Would you stand as we respond in a time of worship, and even right where you are, if you're not in this physical place, to worship the Lord who is for you, he's not against you. That no matter the, the times and the issues that we face, truly say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have from the reading of your word, from the proclamation of your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are working within us. You are transforming us by your spirit. Lord, your love, your grace, your mercy is so tangible over this place and in each human heart. Lord, I thank you, whether people are here or abroad, that you are working, that you're faithful to finish what you have begun. Draw us by your spirit. Guide, convict, and teach us to be more like you. Help us to live out these words, to go that extra mile, to go the narrow way, to the walk in the way of reconciliation, to not escalate, but rather de-escalate. Love one another as you have loved us.